And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week. Uh, solo show today, just me. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I've done uh, listener mail, so I'm going to remedy that today. Uh, I had some awesome uh, questions over on the Twitter.com from, from all of you savages, and I will try to get to all of them. <laughs> Before I get to listener mail, guys, uh, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved with the show, uh, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. Um, all right, I'm going to get to listener mail in just a second, um, but first, I, I have to mention this as an Ohioan. Uh, <laughs> it's been an upsetting day uh, for us conservatives and libertarians in the great state of Ohio. Um, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has issued an executive order mandating a 10 p.m. curfew for the next three weeks starting on Thursday. And I just want to let you guys know I am done. <laughs> I am out. I, I am out on this guy. Um, I officially opt out of Mike DeWine's nonsense. I will no longer comply with any of his ridiculous, unscientific, unconstitutional leftist nonsense. I did not vote for a Republican to get this. Okay, I did not vote for a Republican, you know, to take a step back from John friggin' Kasich, right? And I'm typically against primarying Republicans, especially in swing states like Ohio. I, I, I always advise against it. I, you know... I know you guys in the audience have been mad at me, and I've had guests mad at me, um, you know, for saying, no, hold your horses. I don't want to—we're not going to primary vulnerable Republicans, right? You know, a lot of people over the last few years have uh, have, have constantly talked about primarying uh, Susan Collins, for instance, up in Maine, right? And uh, and I'm like, no, don't do not do that. Maine, Maine's a blue blue state. I know Collins is a, is a left-of-center Republican, um, but she's about the best you're going to get out of, out of a state— like Maine, and and I just don't feel that way anymore about Ohio. Ohio deserves better. Um, I mean, Trump won Ohio by eight point three points. He won by seven points in twenty sixteen, eight point three points in in twenty twenty. Um, in a year where he lost Michigan and Pennsylvania, or at least more than likely lost Michigan and Pennsylvania, and those three states typically vote in unison. So I. I don't really think Ohio is a swing state anymore. I think it's trending red, and I think that Ohio can do a heck of a lot better than Mike DeWine in 2022. Okay? I'm typically against primarying incumbent Republicans, but I'm done with this man. He has crossed the Rubicon. He's no longer fit uh, to serve as the governor of Ohio. We need to recruit a primary challenger. I will endorse any principal conservative running against Mike DeWine in 2022. I've always accepted. I, I, I accepted for a long time, back when Ohio was you know, a legitimate swing state, you know, like George Bush won Ohio twice by less than a point. Barack Obama uh, won Ohio by a point and then less than half of a point uh, in, in 2012. But it's just not the case anymore. I accepted that, you know, if, if a Republican's going to win statewide in Ohio, they're going to be these milk toast, chestless, weak need, you know, centrist Republicans. I, I, I just don't think that's the case anymore. I think we can get a legitimate conservative elected governor of Ohio and the time is now. 
I mean, this is with Republicans like these who needs Democrats. I mean, this man is is an absolute joke. It's pathetic. Um, so yeah, I I'm I'm ticked off. <laughs> I'm ticked off. Um, yeah, I, I apologize to my wife. I've been ranting and raving for the last 24 hours, but I I, th- I think my outrage is warranted this time. Let's jump right into listener mail. I've I've tons of awesome questions, legit questions and sarcastic questions. I'll try to get to to all of of, of both from from both categories. But uh, all right, listener mail. Here we go. Here's from friend of the show, my buddy Andrew Donaldson. Uh, in this case, the best caddy uh, this side of the Mississippi, just teeing me off to to start off <laughs> listener mail here. Uh, what's the worst song ever, and why is it Imagine? <laughs> I mean, obviously, Imagine by John Lennon is, is the worst song ever. Honestly, we don't even need to get into why. I think we all understand why at this point. It's ridiculous commie nonsense. But I, I, look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this question in a different direction here. I, I think the song Imagine is actually an amazing tool. It really is. Because it's the fastest way to spot a commie. I mean, just play Imagine until you start singing along, and you know that person's a dirty commie. Yeah, just a, a dirty, dirty commie. commie. And See, I wish Imagine was around back in the 50s when Joseph McCarthy was looking for commies in the federal government and Hollywood. <laughs> right? It would have made it way easier. He could just play Imagine, and then whoever started singing along, just arrest them, pack them up, ship them off to Moscow. And the country probably would have been better for it. Um, next question. Uh, have you listened to the burn barrel podcast? It's a great show. I have not, uh, never heard of it, but, uh, I will check it out. I will check it out. I'm always down for new suggestions. I will check that out. Do you have a top five favorite movie list? Um, have I, I I think I've answered this question before on the podcast and you know, with with top five favorite lists, they're always kind of fluid, right? They kind of change, but um, I, I don't have like a top five favorite films like in order, but I'll just say in no particular order. Um, Goodfellas has to be on the list. Um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is definitely on the list. That's always been one of my favorites. Uh, High Fidelity. High Fidelity is one of my favorite movies. It's like a movie nobody's ever seen. It's this comedy featuring John Cusack. I think it's from the early 90s. Uh, it's really good. It's, uh, what's his name, Jack Black. It's his first movie, and he's outstanding. That's definitely on the list. Um, the Wolf of Wall Street is up there, um, certainly. Um, the entire Star Wars franchise, I'll kind of just lump all Star Wars movies in together and just say just Star Wars generally, except for the most recent three. <laughs> um, yeah, the the re, you know the, the most recent three were terrible. I mean, with the, the awful new cast and just the awful writing and just killing off all these iconic characters in the lamest, dumbest ways possible. So just ignoring the most recent... Uh, reboot of Star Wars, just all everything else packaged together. I'd say just Star Wars generally. Wolf of Wall Street, High Fidelity, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Goodfellas. There you go, top five. And follow-up question, uh, what are your top five favorite desserts? Um, I don't eat sugar. <laughs> I stopped with the sugar stuff a few years back uh, when I went keto. And I'm not like full keto. Like I'll eat rice occasionally, I'll eat corn occasionally, but I, I don't eat any wheat. And I'm I eat very very little sugar, um, like once or twice every summer, I'll get like ice cream or a milkshake or something like that. Like literally, just maybe a couple times a year. Um, but like my dessert, like almost every day before I go to bed is like a handful of grapes. <laughs> I know that's really weird, but like I don't eat sugar, and I I used to love sugar. I used to love like candy and and all that good stuff. But like 
I, I don't get any sugar in my diet. So like I just crave it. And like my like cheat meal is grapes almost every day before I go to bed. I'll just lay on the couch, eat a handful of grapes, preferably black grapes or red grapes. Green grapes are acceptable occasionally, but they're not as sweet. But yeah, grapes are my dessert. I know that's the lamest answer in the world, but my favorite dessert are grapes. Next question. Is it acceptable to put up Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving? I'll be honest with you. I really don't have an opinion one way or the other. And the reason is because I am allergic to dust. <laughs> I'm, I'm super allergic to dust. If I'm in, you know, if I'm around a ton of dust for an extended period of time, I'll get really sick. Like I'll get the flu or a bad cold or something. Um, it's bad. So when my wife puts up Christmas decorations, she just tells me when she's going to do that. And then I just have to leave the house all day. <laughs> I'll just steer clear for like 12 hours. Um, so like, I don't actually, it's like one of those chores I actually don't have to participate in, um, because of my dust allergy. So like, I can't really complain one way or the other. Like, you know, I mean, she does it all. So I mean, when she wants to put up Christmas decorations, she's going to put up Christmas decorations. And since I'm not really a part of it, I can't really complain one way or the other. So I, I'm kind of excluded from having a preference on before or after Thanksgiving, to be honest. I just, you know, I just leave that to my wife. I mean, it's probably it's probably for the best, too. I mean, like, you know, I don't think I'd be very good at, like, decorating a Christmas tree. I mean, I'm a guy. I mean, it's kind of... I don't really pay attention to detail like that. I'm not I'm not a details guy. I'm kind of a big-picture guy, not a details guy. So if I decorated the tree, it'd probably look like garbage. So... Probably for the best. Next question. If a tree falls in the woods with no poll watchers around to hear it, will it vote Democrat? At least twice. Are the Pittsburgh Steelers legit good or are they frauds? Dude, they're 9-0. and oh. <laughs> Bro. This is from friend of the show, Justin Gabbard. Um, dude, the, I mean, you don't accidentally rattle off nine straight wins to start an NFL season. I mean, the Steelers have a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback, first ballot Hall of Fame coach. They have a great offensive line. They've got four awesome receivers, two great tight ends. They've got the number one defense in the league. They have a defensive player of the year candidate. They're great on special teams. They're probably they're one of the best run organizations in major American sports history, I'd say. Come on, man. Steelers are winning it all this year. Call your bookie. Bet on it. To be or not to be. And if you be, can you be here and in Nevada? See, I have no idea how to answer that question. Um, But I will say, contrary to popular belief, I I really believe Nevada is an underrated state. I I really do. I've always liked Nevada. Um like Vegas is great. I've been to Vegas a handful of times, but well, Vegas is great. I I don't like huge crowds of people and stuff. I actually, you know, I get really anxious in big crowds and stuff, but um, I've always been to Vegas just for some reason when I'm on tour at the band, it always works out that we play Vegas like on a Sunday. Um, and we always take Mondays off. So it's uh, and for some reason, the way we, we, our tours are routed, we always play New Orleans and Las Vegas on a Sunday. I don't know why, but it always works out that way. And so our day off on Monday, we always get to hang out in Vegas or, you know, Bourbon Street down in, in New Orleans, you know. And uh, Vegas on a Monday, man, is awesome. <laughs> There's nobody there, <laughs> you know. You can go gamble, hang out, play cards, get some drinks, and it's not too crowded, you know. None of the casinos are crowded. Uh, so, man, I'll tell you what, I've been, I've been 
on the strip in Vegas on a Monday night multiple times. And I've always had a great time. And then like down, you know, I've, I always I have a bunch of buddies down in like the Henderson area and it's a nice town and, you know, go hang out on Lake Mead. It's beautiful. You know, uh, you know, crystal clear blue water, great striper fishing. You know, it's just, it's, I don't know. I like Nevada underrated state. Didn't answer the question. Don't really understand the question, but, uh, yeah, Nevada, one of those underrated states that nobody talks about. Great question. What are your thoughts on more shutdowns coming? Look, obviously, lockdowns are evil. Um, but I wanted to answer this question a different way. We conservatives, we libertarians, we, we have the facts on our side, right? And that's how we argue, as we should. And, and you know, when we argue the facts, you know, like the, the WHO, the CDC... These people have come out and said that lockdowns don't work. All they do is prolong the inevitable. All they do is hurt the economy. All they do are, are drive people to things like addiction, to suicide. You know, they, they, you know, people are missing cancer screenings and things like that because of these lockdowns. They do more harm than good, obviously. We know that. I mean, the, the facts bear that out. And, and we conservatives and libertarians, we have the facts on our side. That's how we argue. And that works in persuading right-wingers, right? I mean, that... that that works in persuading Republicans to care about property rights and individualism and, and things like that. That doesn't work on the leftists because the left don't care about facts, okay? They, they operate, they are feelings-based, right? They don't, they don't care about the facts. If you, if you put together, you know, you put the, the WHO, the CDC facts in front of them saying that government lockdowns don't work, they won't care. Because they don't care about that. They care about the emotional aspect. They, they, they love government, they worship government, and they think that if the government tells them what to do, Big Daddy government can make it all better. I've seen my friends saying this about Mike DeWine, his his order saying, "Oh, you got to be in bed by 10. <laughs> right? I've seen thirty year old men, thirty five year old men, friends of mine, with complete and utter Stockholm syndrome, thanking Mike DeWine for telling them to stay in their room after ten. It's insane. I mean, they don't care about the facts. They don't care that all this is going to do is shut down small businesses. They don't care. They don't care that it doesn't limit. <laughs> Coronavirus ain't afraid of the dark, man. It's a virus. It affects people indiscriminately. Why? Like, why is that 10 p.m. curve? Like, there's no science behind that. But the left doesn't care about that. They don't care about the facts. Only the emotions. And we should make emotional appeals to leftists because we're not going to win them over to conservatism or libertarianism by making these fact-based arguments because they just don't care. They're delusional. They do not care. But it's just as easy to make the moral case for libertarianism and for conservatism as it is to make the factual case. Like, I'm a libertarian because I'm a Christian. Okay, I'm a libertarian because libertarianism lines up with my Christian worldview. Because I believe in nonviolence. I believe in the non-aggression principle. Okay, like, take communism, socialism, right? We always say, you know, communism doesn't work. Of course, of course it doesn't work. I mean, communism has led to genocide anywhere on earth that's ever been tried. L- just literal genocide. Communism is the great evil of the modern world. They've, you know, the commies killed something like 10 to 12 times as many people as the Nazis, right? We all know that. But even if communism worked, it wouldn't make it any less evil, okay? Because communism is slavery. Instead of being a slave to a private citizen, you're a, state, you're, you're a slave to the state. And slavery is inherently evil regardless, right? Like, sla- like. Even if slavery was, like, worked or whatever, like, economically, which it didn't, 
like one of the main reasons why uh, the you know the Union won the Civil War is because like slavery actually doesn't make any sense economically. But like let's say like it did, and let's say slavery for some reason like made the lives of slaves better. Like that's insane. But let's let's just say in some parallel universe that was the case. It wouldn't make slavery any less evil because it's evil to own somebody. Okay. Even if communism worked, which I know it doesn't, of course it doesn't, even if it did, it wouldn't make it any less evil to enslave entire populations under government, the government's iron fist, okay? It would still be evil, deeply, profoundly evil, even if it did work. Lockdowns don't work. <laughs> Left-wing organizations like the World Health Organization and the CDC have said that lockdowns don't work. Even if they did, it wouldn't make it any less evil. Forcing free men and women to do things they don't want to do at gunpoint is evil. Okay? It's just wrong. It's immoral. And we should be making that case. We should be making the moral case for freedom, not just the factual case. Of course, as a fair capitalism, you know, produces wealth and prosperity. But even if it didn't, okay, even if communism was the better economic system, which is insane, but even if that was the case, laissez-faire capitalism would still be moral and communism would still be evil and immoral. It's like the taxation is theft argument, right? Like taxation is theft, right? It is theft. Like it is, you're robbing people at gunpoint and redistributing their, their money. Like that that is immoral. That is the definition of theft. And it's not that I don't... like. It's not that I don't enjoy driving on public roads and going to public parks. And look, look I'm, on, I'm on unemployment right now, okay? The government took away my source of income, so I am on unemployment right now. I, I feel weird about it. You can call me a hypocrite if you want. I, I don't know if it makes me a hypocrite or not. I'm, I don't know. But it is what it is. It's not that I, and, but you know, I'm glad I'm getting some kind of income right now during these trying times. It's not that I'm not enjoying that. Taxation still immoral because you're forcing people to do things they don't want to do at gunpoint. You're you're bringing aggression upon nonviolent people. Okay, and we should be making like, like it, it's okay to make the taxationist theft argument on moral grounds. It's it's okay to make the the liberty versus communism argument on moral grounds because it's just as easy to make the moral case for these things as it is the factual case. Like I'm anti-war generally, not because, you know some practical policy-based reason, like Libya, okay, a war that we can all agree that was was an evil, unconstitutional, immoral war, right? Like, going into Libya, in un- Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton starting in an unconstitutional war in Libya isn't just a foreign policy blunder, right? That's how that's how we, we, we talk about, you know, mainstream the you know the corporate press. This is how they talk about these things. You see, it was a blunder. The war in Iraq, it was it was a it was a mistake. It was a bl- it was a foreign policy blunder. Causing the deaths of tens of thousands of women and children is not a foreign policy blunder. It's evil. Okay, like if if I did that or you did that, we'd be called mass murderers, right? <laughs> if a government does it, if a state does it, it's a foreign policy blunder. Okay, we, we went into Libya, we deposed Muammar Gaddafi, who was a bad guy, an evil guy, killed lots of people, but he was literally cooperating with the United States. He ended his nuclear program. He handed over his chemical weapons. He was handing, he was giving us information on, on where to capture terrorists, right? 
And we kill him anyway. We go, we overthrow the government. He's sodomized to death on the streets with a giant knife. And then uh, ISIS and, and Boko Haram and, and Al-Qaeda, they take over uh, and they destroy the country, leading to the deaths of, of you know tens of thousands of innocent women and children. Uh, women and children are enslaved now. There's an open-air slave trade on the streets in, in Libya. It just It's absolutely evil. And it's not... It's not evil. It's the, what the war in Libya wasn't a mistake because it didn't end well, right? It, it's not. It wasn't a mistake because we didn't get our policy outcome we desired in North Africa. Okay, it was wrong because it's evil to cause the deaths of tens of thousands of women. That's why. Okay, so I'm fine making the moral argument, and that's the only way to reach out to people on the left and bring them over into the liberty camp. Because these people just don't care about the facts. They only care about their feelings. They only care about the emotional aspect. And uh, we should meet both sides. I mean, when you're, when you're trying to convince a, a right-winger to care about liberty and property rights and individualism and, and, and freedom, make the factual case. And when you're talking to somebody on the left, make the moral case. Because libertarianism is inherently self-evidently moral. Saying don't bring violence, don't bring aggression upon peaceful people, that is a moral argument. It's self-evidently moral. And the alternative is self-evidently evil. So, we, like, like I said, make the factual case to the right, make the, the emotional case to the left. Make sure you mind your P's and Q's and know what you're talking about in both cases, but it's okay to meet both of these people, you know, both of these groups of people on, on their playing field. Meet them where they are. You know, because I see a lot of conservatives and libertarians trying to reach out to Democrats and making this fact-based, you know, case. Like, hey, look, you know, N95 masks probably work. You know, they 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 block, you know, 95% of these particles in the air. But look, cloth masks, people say they're only 10% effective. Why are we, why are we wearing cloth masks, you know, that uh, are only 10% effective? Okay, but a Democrat's not going to listen to that. Like, a Republican will listen to that, okay? Because it's factual and it makes sense. A Democrat's not going to. They're going to say, I just, yeah, I'm scared and I want daddy government to tell me what to do. It's much, it's much more effective than make the case, okay, it's immoral to threaten jail time if you're outside without a mask. It's immoral because you're not doing anything violent. It's immoral to, to threaten to send goons to your house in the middle of the night and arrest you and lock you in a cage if you're not wearing a mask. That's an evil thing for a government to do. Meet these people where they are, both sides. Uh, that's all I got. That's all I got for today. I, I will uh, make it up to you uh, a little bit shorter today, but I'll make it up to you with a couple longer episodes next week. I love you guys. Thank you so much for all the great feedback I've been getting lately. I really appreciate you. And when we do listener mail, keep the awesome questions coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, love you guys. I appreciate you. You guys are the best. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Um.